We're fortunate to have uh, Brother Aramis Pineda with us today, and uh, Brother, you started to teach us the greeting that you would greet one another with in your church, and Charity's been learning it, right? The rest of us need to learn, too. What is that greeting? I apologize for fiddling around up here. Tell us that greeting again, brother. Bienvenidos a la Iglesia de Cristo. Bienvenidos a la Iglesia de Cristo. Is, is that what he's been... I'm thinking of the other ones. But, um, oh. Dios, Dios, uh, Dios te bendiga. Dios, is that what you're thinking of? That's what you told us in the sermon the other time. Dios te bendiga. Oh, see, I got slow. Dios de... Dios te bendita. Dios te bendita. All right. And so church, uh, let's say it together. Dios te bendita. With a a V, right? With a V. Bendita. Dios te bendita. Dios te bendita. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm excited to bring the message today, and this is the beginning of three, me- three sermons that are come from all the way back in Exodus 19, and I want to encourage you to keep reading through that Old Testament according to the plan. We'll catch up to it at some point in time, uh, but right now we're happily stuck in Exodus, and I want to focus um, for the next three weeks on this passage, passage from Exodus 19, and it's so very powerful. And, uh, this, if you will with me, just think for a second about what has happened through Scripture. In the beginning, you had this powerful God show up and create everything out of nothing. Powerful and mighty God on display, showing what He is able to do. And then as you, as you progress through the Scriptures, it's, uh, you know, God's always there. God's caring for people. God's talking with people. He has this personal relationship with people. He picks people. But he never really is on full display like he is at the point that we get to in Exodus. Uh, and, and I'll challenge you in that thinking because I, wa- I want you to consider that when we get here and in Exodus 19, verse number 4, as he declares to these people that he wants for himself, these people that he has brought out of Egypt, he tells them, you have seen. And people, what they have seen is something that's never been seen before. There was nobody to witness creation. I would, I would contend that when you get to the Exodus and you see what God did to the Egyptians and the deliverance, you know, you think about the ten plagues and then the deliverance as they come out, the water party and they're walking through on dry land, all of that, it is... It's mind-blowing. Nothing else has ever occurred like this. God was with Abraham. God was with Isaac and with Jacob. He revealed himself to them. He spoke to them. But he didn't do stuff like he did in Egypt. And so it's interesting to think about that God allowed... Um, his chosen nation, his chosen ones, the children of Abraham, the sons of Israel, to go down into Egypt to be, to be enslaved by 
the greatest and most powerful nation at that time, be enslaved, captured, owned by them. But he allowed that to happen so that his power and might would be on display as he delivered them. As, as we're going to see here, as he cares so much for them to do what he does for them and to bring them out to himself. Verse number four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He's showing these people, he's showing the Egyptians, he's showing the sons of Israel, he's showing the entire world because the news of everything that happened, as Moses sung the song in the previous uh, chapters there, you know, everybody hears about it. God reveals his power and his might. God shows the people who he is. So let's consider this. And when we hear about what the Lord did to deliver the children of Israel from Pharaoh, we should be amazed and we need to be amazed then at what he has done to deliver us. The table we come to every week should be a moment of amazement for us as we consider the one who in loving kindness came. It's a powerful and wonderful thing that Jesus did. It's more amazing than what was on display in Egypt. And there is no way then, how do you describe what God did to the Egyptians? How do you describe the God that was on display before the Egyptians? It's, it's a story. And it's amazing. And that is a God, the God that we serve, the God that we have the opportunity to come to every Sunday in worship and approach Him with praise and adoration because He has delivered us. All right, so in that song we sang before, I keep, in my mind, I'm just going back to that song, In Loving Kindness, Jesus Came. Number 382, if you want to just go there, you get tired of listening to me, go back and read those words over and over and be amazed at what Jesus did for you because he loves you so. All right, so Exodus chapter 19, let's read verses 1 through 4. In the third month, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. They're coming to his presence right where he is at, right where they're going to meet him, right where they're going to be so afraid that when they hear God's voice speaking from the mountain and at the end here of chapter 19 that they're going to be like, Moses, you go talk to him. God's, they're coming into God's presence. That's the point. Verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, 
and tell the sons of Israel. Here's God's message for the people. And this, this message that he gives is, it's, it defines everything that God's been doing up to this point. It reveals to us everything that he's going to do after this point. It, it, this is everything in this passage right here. God's just sharing. And this whole plan is right here. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's what we're going to be looking at today and considering today. We'll, continue, we'll finish this, these thoughts because it all goes together. It all it just fits so well together with what he's saying. Verse number 5. Now then. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So we're going to consider... These words, what God tells the sons of Israel, and then we shall hear the words that God tells uh, not only us, but what God tells the whole world today. So number one, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know, I don't know how long these ten plagues took place, but the Israelites were there as witnesses. Some of the plagues affected them. And then some of the plagues, the later plagues, they were protected from, and they were just able to witness what happened to the Egyptians. Each one of those plagues was designed by God to attack the gods of Egypt. They were showing that God is more powerful, that God is the victor, that he is the one true God. There is no other God above him, and he shows up in this powerful way and does all of these things. Moses was the prophet. He said, this is what's going to happen to Pharaoh if you don't let my people go. And then it happened. It wasn't Moses' doing. It was God's doing. Everyone witnessed the power of God to do miraculous things. They saw God being the victor over every one of Egypt's gods, including that final one, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, the great... The great plague, that last plague that, that broke Pharaoh. And he said, you get out of here and go ahead and take your animals with you. Go worship, go serve your God. The death of the firstborn. That powerful plague that came. But Israel was protected. The sons of Israel were protected. And, and as they went out, as they were told to go out, they said, hey, they talked to their neighbors, the Egyptians. They turned to the Egyptians and they said, uh, you know, we're getting ready to leave. It might be nice to have that with us and, and that with us. Can we, can we take this with us? You know? and, and the Egyptians started saying, here, take it all. Take my gold. Take my silver. Take everything. Just get out before we die. And thus, Israel, this mighty army that had done nothing... <laughs> They plundered the Egyptians. That's the great and powerful God. 
His people were victors. They come out with all the spoils of war. They come out with great riches and wealth because they did they didn't lift a finger. They asked for it. They send us give us this stuff. God orchestrated it. God sends them out. God gives them the victory. Egypt is plundered. And this and then not only that, but then once they chase the Israelites, which was here again God's doing to make this this plan, uh Israel was to go forward, and then God said, all right, kind of back up a little bit. Make it look like you're confused, and that will encourage Pharaoh to come chase you. God at work again. And so Pharaoh sends his army, his chariots, sends all of his people out there. And uh, what happens to them in the Red Sea? Destroyed. While Israel crosses on dry land ahead of them, the army of Pharaoh goes in and is crushed by the water. God. God did. God delivered. He tells these, the sons of Israel, he says, you guys saw, you yourselves have witnessed my great power. You saw, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. The people witnessed what the Lord had done to their oppressor. The one who had been their master was no more. He was crushed, demolished. God continues, he says, this is what else they have seen. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. It's an interesting phrase, and if you want to Jerry and I were talking about this one lots. This is such an interesting phrase. But the essence of it, I think, is is that when you think of eagle's wings, what would you think of? Weak things? Um, You know, a bird that can barely fly? No, this is an eagle is going to be a strong bird. These are strong wings. They are are delivered with... With swiftness, an eagle is not a slow bird. Swift and powerful are the wings. And I asked the question too about this idea of I bore you, I carried you on eagle's wings. Why would God do that? Why would God carry these people out? And it's the only answer is because he cares for them. He heard their cries when they were in Egypt in slavery under the thumb of Pharaoh and abused by him. They cried out, God heard, he cared, and he delivered them. And he bore them on eagles' wings. The people witnessed how the Lord had delivered them swiftly and powerfully. It was a sure deliverance, and it was a deliverance because... He cared for them. So the Lord tells the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you out. I brought you away from the oppressor. I destroyed the oppressor, delivered you from him. And then, third point, and brought you to myself. 
This is his agenda right here, isn't it? Why does God bring them out? What does he bring them to? Does he just to set them free? Now you can go your way. You know, I did my part. I saved you and you're free to go. Enjoy your freedom. You know, freedom's so wonderful, right? No, he doesn't bring them. I'll say he doesn't even bring them to freedom. Yeah, freedom from Egypt, from being a slave down there. But he brings them out to a new master. They're going to be serving someone else now. I brought you to myself. Pharaoh is no longer your master. I am, is what God is saying. You are no longer to serve Pharaoh. You are to serve me. The people have witnessed that the Lord cares for them and wants them in his presence. And that the Lord is going to give them a wonderful life with a new master who actually cares for them, loves them, will do everything he can to make their lives good. And it's going to be an arrangement where he is the master and so they will need to obey. That's why he talks and speaks the way he does in verses 5 and 6. They are to obey. You've got a new master. You will do what I say. But I know this. I'm the one who loves you. I've taken you out of the, the slavery that you endured, the, the suffering that you endured in Egypt. And I've, I've brought you out just in this loving way on eagle's wings because I cared for you. And I've brought you to myself. You're not free to do what you want to do. You're now free to serve me. And now for the application of it, as you think about, just like a couple of weeks ago, we told Israel's story of deliverance from the Egyptians, and then we talked about our story of deliverance. Here's the same, same outline today. So the Lord tells the sons of Israel all of these things, and so now what does the Lord tell us? And actually, I found myself, I realized that what today's message is really just to say what the Lord tells us is really not quite right. It is, as I have outlined here, it's what the Lord tells all the people on earth today. This is what the Lord tells everyone. The message to everyone is to now and look and see what the Lord has done. And the offer is going to be a covenant, if you will. We'll talk about that next week. If you will obey, if you'll keep my covenant. He invites everyone. So, and just as, and, and I really would, it just... Think about what God has done at this moment in time, delivering Israel from Egypt. There has been, God has not showed up in a powerful way like that any time before. I think even, even if you'll consider the idea of the entire flood over the whole earth, that was one, one guy that knew it was going to happen. Everybody else around was just kind of there, and the whole earth ended up flooded. They all died even before the whole earth was covered, right? It was, it was almost like this natural disaster. We know it was God. But from their perspective, people who didn't see the ark going up, it was just rain coming down. But here, God shows up in this major way. And he's telling Israel, you yourselves have seen. You are witnesses. 
And I think the application that we look at from this is that the Lord is telling all of the world that you have seen. And yes, there are some in the world, many in the world, unfortunately, who haven't heard the name of Jesus. But just think of how much the world has been impacted by Jesus Christ coming here to this earth. Even the very dates that we have for our years is based upon the knowledge of one who came and that he changed history at a point in time. That is true. You know, if, if anybody anywhere else in the world, why, does, why, why is this the date that it is? Why is it 2020? If they get an honest answer, it's going to include the name of Jesus Christ. So, what's the application? Number one, you yourselves have seen what I did to Satan on the cross. You know, there was, there was an oppressor for the sons of Egypt, the sons of Israel, and there was an oppressor for all the entire world. You've seen what I did to him on the cross. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this was uh, the, the prophecy that was made that, that we can read there, and that this, the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. That happened on the cross. That is when the victory came. Satan's head was crushed. We can see, we know, when we know about Jesus, when we consider the cross, and when all over the world the symbol of the cross is is known to be the symbol of Jesus Christ. And that is the symbol of victory over Satan. 1 Corinthians 15.26, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. It says, The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death will be abolished. That is the victory. You see, when God went to Egypt, when he showed up and he did all those plagues, he showed the victory over every one of the gods that Egypt had. That were Well, I don't know about every one, but the significant ones. I don't know how many gods they actually had. But there were victory over every single enemy. And so we see in our lives that God is the victor. When we come to Jesus, Jesus provides the victory. Satan's head is crushed. We have the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can put every, every sin that besets us, we can, we can put it aside. We have the victory in Christ Jesus. Nothing can stop us. We think about Romans 8 and how many times we have read that in sermons lately. We are more than conquerors through Him who died for us. We are more than conquerors. We are the victors through Jesus Christ. So you yourselves have seen. And the whole world, I I would just contend, everybody who's heard a thing about Jesus, they know That Jesus provides victory. Jesus is the one who is the conqueror. And it was not just a small thing that he did. His might and his power were on display when the great God of universe declared and showed, demonstrated his love. That is the power. 
That's the great power that was shown that God, the Creator, the Powerful One, who could have called 10,000 angels, called a legion of angels, we heard last week, as He suffered through that. That was the great power of the cross, that He did that for us because He loved us. We heard a great sermon on love not too long ago. It's the greatest thing in the world. The most powerful thing in the world. God's love for us. And that is what was on display at the cross. Satan was crushed. Number two, and how I bore you on eagles' wings. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. God cares for the whole world. The entire world. You know, God is strong enough. He's able. He is swift enough. He is sure enough. You can trust Him. He will deliver. He declares that is that I sent Jesus as my one and only Son to die for you. Believe in Him. Believe in Him. You know, that's bearing us on eagles' wings. That's caring. That's love. For God so loved the world. That most powerful and wonderful thing of love. It's a swift and powerful deliverance. And also, we, we can see through all of this that, um, that's obvious in this, but I don't know that I've iterated it enough, is that I haven't said it, that it was God doing They did nothing. And when we get to the idea of the cross, the application for us is that our deliverance is from God doing and us unable to do anything to save ourselves. We are, we're just, we call out to God and we say, deliver me on eagle's wings. Come and save me. I can't do anything to save myself. And in that song I referred to before, it talked about us being in, um, I had the picture of quicksand. I can't even think of what it is, number 382. But it was, we're in the pit, we're in the miry clay, we can't save ourselves and we call out. Save me, O Lord. Save me, O Lord. And God comes in and he swoops down and he captures us and draws us out and carries us on eagle's wings, swift and sure. No doubt as to who it is the one that saves us. That's not to deny the covenant that we must obey, but it's recognition of the one who saves. He bears the name Savior, not me. Don't look to me to save you. And don't look to yourself to save you. Turn to Jesus. He's the one who can deliver you on eagles' wings. First Peter chapter two verses twenty-one through twenty-four. The note I have here is that Jesus bearing our sins is the way of deliverance. The world can see the cross and know the way of salvation. Let's go to First uh, Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-four. And I love to turn here again. It hasn't been too long ago since we have been there. And let us remember. 
what we have read. 1 Peter 2.21 For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus is the Savior. He did it because he bore our sins on that cross. The sinless one took my sins... So that he could become sin and I could become righteousness, the great trade that took place. He did that for us. That's how he bore us on eagle's wings. And that is a swift and sure plan. It has been accomplished for anybody who will come, who will hear that call. You can come. Because that's what he wants. He wants you to come. And so that last phrase, and brought you to myself. How I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And those Israelites, the sons of Israel, were now at that mountain of God. The very place where Moses had first seen the burning bush and spoken to God. Now they are there, and they are coming to God, and God has brought them to himself. He wants them with him. And he wants us with him. Turn to Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Acts 26, verse 18. This is the call for people everywhere to come to him. The words of Jesus as he was speaking to, uh, to Saul, and this is Saul recounting those words that were shared with him from, from Jesus. Um, just verse 18 here, 26, 18. To open, well, the end of verse 17. To whom I am sending you, the Gentiles, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the dominion of Satan... To God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Now here I hear Jesus saying this is the essence of what I want in this world. I want to bring people, I want them to turn away from Satan and come to God. I want them to come to me. And that's exactly the picture that was shown Way back when, when the Israelites were delivered from their oppressor, from the one who had dominion over them, Pharaoh had dominion over them. They were serving Pharaoh, and God brought them out so into the light so that they could serve God. 
the dominion of Satan. We are being not delivered from Pharaoh, but from Satan, so that we can serve God. We need to be in the dominion of God, in the kingdom of God. We need him as our king. We need him as our authority. He needs to be the one that we serve. We listen to him and obey him. In Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 30, the words of Christ Jesus. And this is hopefully a passage that you know. And I was able to work another Luke has been working on memory work, and uh, it is preschool, so this is another one that he knows. Come unto me. We just started on this one, right? Come to me, all you who are. <laughs> Mommy says, all the, all the time in church, it's, shh, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, stop. <laughs> now daddy wants me to talk? What's going on? Wait, <laughs> who do I listen to here? Is this a trap? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened or heavy laden, and I will give you, Luke, rest. rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear Jesus Telling us that, hey, we need to come to him and put our yoke on and he's going to go behind us and he's going to be the driver of this team of oxen. You're a part of a team of oxen and he's going to get out his whip and whip you and tell you which way to go. And he's going to be the one in charge, the master, and you got to do what he says. Is that what he's saying? Almost. Almost. Except he's saying, I'm going to be the master. I'm going to be directing you. I'm going to be guiding you. But man, this is the way to go. There's no other master you can have that is good like me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yeah, you need to obey. I'm going to bring you into a covenant with me, and you have to do and act according to the faith that I will give you. But it's easy, and it's good. Just like, just like when Pharaoh lost the people of Israel and they came out into the desert and they got a new master. And he was a good master. It wasn't always easy. Sometimes they didn't have much food and they were, oh, what are we going to do? And sometimes they didn't have much water. Moses, we're going to kill you because we don't have water. But God was always there. God took care of them. God was a good man. There is no other master who is so good as God and his son, Jesus Christ. And the whole world should know this. And I pray that we as a church that we're carrying this message, and we'll talk, that's really leading into next week, this covenant we have. How we are living for Jesus. But remember, You yourselves have seen what was done to Satan on that cross. The whole world has seen what was done to Satan on that cross. And and in that moment, how, how God bore us, how Jesus bore us on eagles' wings, cared for us and loved us so much. And what he really wanted to do was to bring him to him 
to himself, to bring us to God, to bring us to Jesus, to let him be our master. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other, or he'll serve the one and despise the other. There's only two masters available. You're either serving Satan, or you're serving God. And we have to understand that what we have seen, it's not just a story. Uh, It's not just something we kind of do on Sundays. It's, It's this... If we've really seen what God has done, it just demands response. And we have to ask ourselves, do we want to keep on serving Satan? Serving the master who hates us and despises us and wants us to suffer? Or are we going to turn to Jesus? And I just beg of us all to consider the great and powerful God who says, I love you so much, I want to bring you to myself. Please serve him. Serve him with your entire life. Man, I don't do this well. I need to do it better. And we all need to consider, what do I need to do to serve Jesus better? Because I've been bought at a price. I'm not my own. I need to serve God. And not me, not Satan. I need to serve God. So the challenge is, if you've turned from Satan and now you serve God as your master, then go and serve him and serve him well with all of your might. Serve him every day in every way. Serve him as best you can with every bit of your life, your being. Serve him. And if you're not a servant, if you're not a Christian, you're not yet a servant of Jesus, then Quit serving Satan. Quit serving yourself, which is another way of saying quit serving Satan. And serve God. Turn to Jesus, the one who gave the greatest display of power and love and victory over your oppressor. Turn to Jesus today. Turn to the one who died for you. If you want to make Jesus your master today, I encourage you to please come as we stand together and sing.